When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est bon. Ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. Stanley pour les Canadiens. Le match troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Marinero on this Monday, November 21st. It's one minute past 10 o'clock right here on the Sick Podcast. You're watching us live, I would assume, via YouTube. And if you're not on YouTube, it's via Facebook or Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, please do so. We certainly do appreciate it this show of course this podcast brought to you in part by energy transportation group if you ship commercial freight and want to impress your boss with how much money you can save get in touch with the logistics professionals at energy transportation group email them at sick at shipenergy.com or visit their website at shipenergy.com all right okay i had um i had a great night tonight i was um i was of course uh, part of um, Jean Chao's GC show on TVA Sports. And I made my way there at around, uh, left my house at around uh, 4.30 or so. Got in, a little bit of makeup, joined the guys in studio, joined Jean Chao in studio. We celebrated 40 years of broadcasting for the great Denny Casavant, who was in studio. And uh, I had the, the privilege to work with Denny for uh, just over a year morning radio when I was working uh sports radio on the english side and i remember my boss i was about i would think i was uh i did the afternoon drive for about two and a half years and then i did the morning show for two and a half years but after about a year year and a half that i was working the morning show 
uh, one of my bosses came to see me and he says, um, if you could hire somebody to work at the radio station, who would you hire? And I said, without, you know, uh, a second's hesitation, Denny Casava. And he said, why? And I said, because he'll bring instant credibility to the radio station or even more credibility than we have. And I said, he's well-respected and everyone likes Denny, whether it's Francophones, Anglophones, everybody likes Denny. And, um, you know, 40 years of broadcasting, it's safe to say that everyone likes Denny. And uh, um, the great Ivo Pedno said it earlier tonight on TVA Sports Television uh, that Denny Kazavan belongs in, in the Hall of Fame uh, as far as broadcasting is concerned because you'll be hard-pressed to find a more versatile broadcaster, a guy that you can call, you know, um, 30 minutes in advance and say, uh, you know, get to the get to the radio station or get to the television station, and we need you to broadcast baseball. We need you to broadcast football. We need you to broadcast hockey. We need you to broadcast the Olympic Games. Um, you know, you name it, and uh, he'll be able to do it. And so congratulations to Denny Kazavan. And then from there, I made my way to the Bell Center, where um, – it was the official launch of uh, Pierre Gervais' book. Um, and uh, we've heard about it over the past couple of days. The book is written by my buddy Mathias Brunet of La Presse newspaper, who says that he told uh, Pierre Gervais a long, long time ago, the former equipment manager of the Montreal Canadiens, Pierre, uh, one day you got to write a book. And a lot of people told Pierre, hey, one day you got to write a book. And he said, but if you do write a book, I mean, you just, you got to serve the people. It's got to be a tell-all and you can't hold back. Well, uh, safe to say uh, that he took that seriously. He didn't hold back. And as a matter of fact, his book has taken um, the hockey world, especially, you know, former Montreal Canadiens, uh, has, has shaken them up quite a bit where uh, he's not... Um, you know, in one or two instances, he's not very complimentary of Max Pacioretty. He's not very complimentary of P.K. Subban. He's not very complimentary of Marc Bergevin. He's certainly not complimentary of Dominic Ducharme. Kind of feel bad for Dominic Ducharme in a way because at this stage of his career, he really didn't need this book coming out. You would think it's he's going to have a hard time finding a job. Um but, uh, you know, he talked about Ducharme being disorganized, uh, never losing his locker room because he never had it in the first place. Um, the players really wanting to play for Luke Richardson when Ducharme was out with COVID. Max Pacioretty not being a good person. Um, Max Pacioretty, his team could win 10-1 if he doesn't score a game. He was just in a terrible, terrible mood. Uh, you want to kill P.K. Subban, you send him out in the forest with no mirror and no cell phone, and he won't be able to survive. And Marc Bergevin, according to Pierre Gervais, was an adolescent. He tried to dress way too young, and he tried to be young like the guys, but he wasn't, and uh, the guys didn't like that about him. So, I mean, if there's one guy that I didn't think was going to talk, it was Pierre Gervais, and I went to his book launch tonight. I was invited. It was between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. I got there uh, just past 6 p.m., and I was curious to see if there were going to be any active players there, and there were not. So I asked if there were some before I got there, 
and there were not. So I didn't see any active players. I did not see Jeff Molson either. Um, I did see Jeff Gordon, Kent Hughes, and Marty St. Louis. And as a matter of fact, I had a nice chat with all three of them. It was really, really good catching up with them. It was kind of cool. It's always good. There you go. There's me and the coach. There you have it. Uh, we had a real nice chat. And um, I'm telling you, um, if he's available for, for motivational speaking, uh, he, he could be a, a great hire for anyone who wants to bring in a motivational speaker because, you know, he and I were just talking about a few things and I'm, I'm like, he was motivating me and uh, I felt like going out and playing for him. And obviously I'm not in good enough shape to do so, but uh, wow, he's really something. And um, I've loved him from day one. I've loved the hire from day one. And, uh, you know, you Montreal Canadiens fans should be pretty good about the fact that your team is in the hands of Marty St. Louis and Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon. Um, it was a, it was an enjoyable night. And speaking of which, if all goes well, Pierre Gervais will join me uh, in the next week right here on the SICK podcast. I think he's scheduled for next monday but if there's a slot that opens up before that he will join us before that but if not next monday he'll join us right here on the sick podcast speaking of mondays a regular collaborator uh especially when the canadians don't play because if they play well then we rain check with him we go at a you know another day but when the canadians don't play and they don't play tonight they will host the buffalo sabers tomorrow and they will visit the columbus blue jackets in columbus on wednesday joining me right now from Sportsnet, sportsnet.ca. Eric Engels, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Very, very good. Is 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 there a lighting issue, or is or is that top purple? Uh, this top is gray, so it's probably the lights that are on in the background here. But ah, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, it's gray. Wow it it looks it looks kind of purple, Eric. Did well, it's hockey fights cancer uh, week, so yeah. Uh, I, purple. We'll 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 roll with it. I got to tell you this though, it's it's, it's a beautiful sweatshirt. Yeah, sick. is it a is it a sweatshirt, a shirt, or a hoodie? What is it exactly? It's a sweatshirt. And yellow hooked it up, and I'm uh, uh, nice. proud to say it's a medium. I haven't fit into a medium since I was uh, about 15 years old, so it's it's a good day. He called me. He said, "Will Eric fit into a medium?" I said, "Listen, he'll fit in a large for sure. Medium, I'm not that sure, but he has been on a health kick. If there's any time a medium is going to fit him, it's now. And now you've confirmed." That you fit it into a medium. Pretty cool. It's a, bit, it's, it's a bit loose. And he brought this microphone. So if I sound better, that'll be good for us. You know what? You sound fantastic. To tell you you really, really sound fantastic. It's the Sick Podcast brought to you in part by these guys here. Let me just get them. It's uh, 8.6 beer. The beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark. So, Eric, before we talk about the Canadians, as I was saying, I was at the book launch earlier this evening. And I'm sure by now... Uh, you've heard about some of the things that are in the book, and I have to ask you, are you surprised that Pierre Gervais said what he said? Because I'm not going to lie to you, I'm kind of shocked. I'm not surprised because the book's written by Matthias Brunet, and if you're a journalist writing a book for somebody, even if it's their memoir and they're in control of it, you're going to ask them questions, questions that elicit different answers, not just tell me all the good stories from the Canadians locker room. Tell me everything. Tell me about this guy and that guy. And obviously players like, um, or 
a coach like Dominic Ducharme and a GM like Mark Bergevin are top of mind because it's recent what happened and last mm-hmm. year was such a catastrophe that, of course, you get to speak to someone who's the pulse of the locker room and find out exactly what was going on in there. You're going to want every answer you could possibly get. And um, I think, you know, if you're Matthias Brunet, if I'm Matthias Brunet and I'm in that situation, I'm writing that book for Pierre, um, I'm telling him, you want this thing to get out there and for people to read it, let's not filter it. Let's make sure that all the stories are there, not just the good ones and the happy stuff. So I I personally have not read it. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it. So I don't want to speak too much to the content just based on how people are reacting and what they read for themselves and have regurgitated on social media. I think that's a dangerous game. Um, I know as a writer myself, I prefer when people are discussing my work, if they've read it themselves instead Mm -hmm. of had it come to them via another source. I have no doubt of the veracity of the accounts that we're hearing online and all that. Um, I feel bad for Dominic Ducharme too. I I don't see it as necessary to be kind of shoveling dirt on him after everything that he's been through and what he's gone through. And I, I, I really like what Martin St. Louis said about it when he was asked about it today. You know, he's, he's, he said, this is Jerv's perspective. It's not the perspective of the Montreal Canadiens. This is what he perceived while he was here. And it's his right to do with that content whatever he pleases, whether people want to believe and know whatever happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, You know, he kept it there while he was working there for decades. Um, It's his right to tell his story and and leave that behind for whoever wants to read it. And good for Matthias for landing that project. I have no doubt the book's going to do really well. Yeah, having said all that, you know, Matthias was saying that on several occasions he told Pierre, like, do you really want to write this? Because, I mean, this is this is pretty deep what you're saying. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, no, no, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to uh, say what's on my mind and what I think. And it, it look, it's the book is not unanimous. Um, you're right. Uh, and Marty's right that it is Pierre's perspective. He can say whatever he wants. He has that right. Um, but in the hockey world, and I'm going to mention this to Pierre when I talk to him from, you know, in a week from today. In the hockey world, there's an unwritten rule that what happens in the room stays in the room. So once again, it's, it's Pierre's perspective. He's allowed to write it. It's obviously candy for us members of the media especially if you're doing a radio show or a television show, a podcast. I mean, you can you can go on so many different subjects, get so many different guests, branch it out, talk about it. I mean, it gives you a week's worth of material at the very least. But um, there's a lot of people that are upset about it. There's a lot of people that are very, very upset about it. I, 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 just, I know you said you're not surprised, but I, I'm surprised. Uh, out of all people, I didn't think Pierre Gervais was going to speak. Um, but once again, for the fans who want some stuff, I mean, you're getting a lot of stuff there. And uh, I'm sure it's a pretty great read. I brought the book home. I plan on uh, reading probably about 50 pages or so after this podcast when I go to bed tonight. And I'll try and read 50 every day until I finish the book. That's about 240 pages or so but uh it's there's there's a lot there there's a lot there well there's a little bit there that's been blown up to to a large proportion because it's the juiciest stuff probably in terms of the negativity and Mm -hmm. unfortunately you know we always say bad news sells um you know that's what 
people picked apart that read it, got advanced copy of it and put out right away, knowing that that was the newsworthy bits. I'm assuming that if it's 240 pages and I haven't read the book myself, like I mentioned, that a lot of it is some of the incredible stories that only Pierre Gervais would be able to tell in being in the locker room. And we can sit here and say what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. And that's a, an oath that you take as part of a, a locker room. Um, but, you know, on the other side of it, if there's 50 out of 240 pages dedicated to the stuff that we've already heard about, um, you know, the other stories that he would tell about being in the room with Guy Lafleur or being in the room with Patrick Waugh or whatever it may be in a key moment in the Stanley Cup final, uh, boy, I would want Pierre Gervais to tell those stories. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what he's – he was privileged enough to be there for that stuff, and it's the type of stuff that makes legends legends, right? And, and I yeah. just think – why not tell those stories? It just so happens that because of the current or most recent stories that were told about Dominic Ducharme and Mark Bergevin and Max Pacioretty and whoever you want to choose, you know, that would be the topical stuff to, to come up right away with the guys, yeah. uh, whoever read it and started writing about it right away. I don't really plan on writing about it myself at sportsnet.ca. It's a book. If people want to read it, they can buy it and read all about it. Uh, the salacious stuff was the stuff that people chose to put out right away. I'd imagine there's some really good stories in there that you would want not want Pierre Gervais to shut up about. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you this, and um, I have to go to the book and, and actually see what's written word for word. But based on, you know, what's been out there on social media over the past couple of days from people who got their hands on the book before tonight, because it was already out there in stores, uh, it came a little bit early. Um Based on what I read, it's Pacioretty was not a good person, and when the team would win by a score, if the team would win by a score of 10 to 1, if he wouldn't score, he'd be absolutely miserable. Uh, look, this is what I can't tell you from my personal experience. Uh, Max Pacioretty is a good person. From my personal experience, I can share one story with you where my nephew was doing a, uh, a, you know, a project for school. I don't remember if it was high school or college. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was on concussions, and of course, Pacioretty had sustained a terrible one to the hands of Zdeno Chara when he was hit into the stanchion. So I, uh, I, um, I picked up the phone, I gave him a call, and I said, um, uh, my nephew's doing a, a project on concussions. Can you collaborate? And he said, sure, come over. And um, so I said, okay. So I uh, called my nephew, and I said, uh, uh, you ready to do your project? And he said, yeah. I said, well, grab your iPad, grab everything. We're going to Pacioretty's house. So we went to Max Petretti's house in Nuns Island, and uh, and uh, he greeted us. And um, my nephew had the iPad, and he asked them the questions, and they had a chat and stuff like that. And so, not everyone's very giving of their time that way. I know that he's very involved, of course, with different charities. And uh, I can share another story where, uh, when he opened up his foundation. I um, I gave him a call and I said, uh, hey, would you like to collaborate? Maybe we can do something. And uh, I said, uh, my son's part of a soccer team that's going to a prestigious tournament uh, representing Montreal and going to a tournament in Spain and in Portugal. And I know that we're trying to raise funds. And uh, I know you're trying to raise funds for your foundation. Maybe we can do something. He said, sure. What do you have in mind? And I said, how about a uh, Texas Hold'em poker tournament for charity? And uh, for the charities, and I said, we can, you know, we we have a foundation, you have a foundation, and we can we can split it. He said, no problem. You set it up, and I'll be there. And I set it up, and he was there, and he came with a couple of players as well. So 
Max Pacioretty was based on, you know, he was a good person. He didn't talk to me down the stretch. I got to tell you that because I went out in the month of November, I believed, and I guaranteed that Max Pacioretty would be traded before the Canadians golf tournament. And Pacioretty wasn't happy with what I said. Um, I mean, I had it on good information that it was going to happen. So I didn't throw it out there for no reason. And uh, he wasn't happy with what I said. So from November to the time he was traded, he no longer talked to me. Um, and it should be noted that Max Pacioretty was traded the night before the Canadians golf tournament. But Max Pacioretty is a good person. Yeah, listen, my perspective is, is that he he's a good person. Like, again, this is a question of perception. This is a question of uh, a guy who's worked with dozens of players and shared his perspective on who these people were when he was there and how they treated him. And, you know, again, I don't want to speak too much to the points that were brought up there because I haven't read the words myself. We're yeah. going off based off what people have said about them and their own interpretation, which I've learned in writing on a daily basis that people twist around your words quite easily. Um, so I'll read them for myself. I'm sure it's mostly accurate. At the yeah. end of the day, I had really good dealings with Max Pacioretty. I always sought to understand the situation that Max Pacioretty was, was in. He put a lot of pressure on himself to score and contribute in the way that he was paid to, to contribute. Yeah. Um, and he did that for the most part while he was Montreal Canadian. Him being upset about not scoring in a 10-1 win or whatever it may be if that's like what was used against him i would suggest that that's just him holding himself to a certain standard uh and he always did that and to a fault you know to the point where he beat himself up quite a bit when he didn't really need to sometimes oh yeah too yeah. much so he really let it get to him and he was uh, very um sensitive to what the media would say too i know he listened to our every word and uh, he would read a lot and he'd listen a lot and he'd watch a lot and uh if he was criticized for his play uh or if the fans criticized him or a member of the media criticized him he took it pretty pretty badly it weighed on him quite a bit anyway um you're gonna have the opportunity to read the book i'm gonna have the opportunity to read the book and pierre gervais once again if all goes well is gonna join me one week from today right here on the sick podcast brought to you in part by lacash if the last time you went to lacash was when the habs won the cup it's time you go back to lacash the menu will surprise you. Speaking of which, Eric, I was at Lacage La Salle on Saturday night. Um, and I was there with my family and we were with some friends. And we were there was we were nine. And uh, we were watching obviously the Canadians and the Flyers. And Lacage La Salle was going absolutely nuts on Saturday. Eric. I don't remember the last time I watched a game that, in my opinion, was more entertaining than that one. I thought the game was so fun to watch. I thought it had everything. I thought it had good goals. I thought it had bad goals. I thought it had early goals. I thought it had crazy goals. Uh, it, there was obviously a comeback. There was an equalizer with less than two seconds to go in the hockey game. There was overtime. There was some good saves. There were, you know, there was there there was a shootout. There was a great goal in the shootout. Like there was a fight for those who like that kind of stuff. That game had everything, Eric. 
Yeah, and it feels like a lot of the games the Canadians play at ha- has everything. Like you go back, you know, to last week where they lost in Columbus, and it was a bit of a slop fest on both ends of the ice. But a six-four game that the Canadians produced the more, most scoring chances they've had in a single game this season. You know, like when they lose, they're entertaining. When they win, they're entertaining. Uh, when they do it on home ice, it's particularly even more entertaining, which is something you always want. Uh, especially if you're the Montreal Canadiens, knowing what their fan base is like and how they fill the Bell Centre, regardless of what the team uh, and their results are. It's, um, you know, it's the, the best case scenario for a team that's in the transition phase of building up and, and trying to become successful over the long term, knowing that the results are not necessarily going to be there in the short term. And they've been better um, than anybody anticipated they'd be before the season started. But the think the big factor here. And I would agree with you that maybe maybe that was – I don't know if it was the most exciting game of the year. I mean, uh, coming back, the 3-2 game against Pittsburgh, I thought, was on the same level. Yeah, that was a good there. one. That was a good one. It was up there. But, you know, the, the common denominator is that there are two superstars playing up front for the Canadians in Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, and oh, yeah. they put on a show. Oh, and, man. Oh, man, they're and, superstars. And, and, Tony, like I wrote about this on Sunday. Yeah. We've been talking – for decades about the Canadians not having a true number one center. Um, You know, we always put the frame of that and like, it's got to be a a big guy. Um, Nick Suzuki is about six feet. He's 205 pounds. He is unquestionably a number one center and one of the best centers in the world. Um, Not only is his skill, speed, 200 foot game qualify him as a, as a number one center, yeah, the flash that he brings to the ice brings people out of their seats in a way we haven't seen since Alex Kovalev was on this team. And to have a guy like Caulfield next to him who can capitalize on the chances yeah. afforded to him. But not only that, like Caulfield's game in general, mm-hmm. and I said this a lot before he got to the NHL, mm-hmm. I always thought Caulfield's greatest skill aside from his shot was his ability to decide when he's going to break when he's going to make a move, his perpetual motion. I've compared him not as a player to Evgeny Malkin, but in that one specific asset of the game, I've always felt that Malkin's best asset is his motion, his ability to always be in motion, always be in the right place for a breakout pass, to get it at the perfect speed, to be able to make a rush through the neutral zone and create something offensively. And Caulfield came with that ability to the NHL, and it's really showing now. He's got a much more versatile game than people give him credit for. His his playmaking ability is very strong. His ability to knock players off the puck is very strong, and it really has to do with the way he processes the game and how he anticipates where the puck is going to be and puts himself in motion to get there and where the play is going and puts himself in motion to be the second four checker blocking a play. So to have mm-hmm. those two guys on the, at the same time blossoming at the same speed and emerging as bonafide superstars is the best case scenario for a team that is in this transition phase because the results don't matter as much as what those two guys are doing. I know that when Cole Caulfield scored his second goal of the game to tie it at four, uh, at that very minute, he was the most popular guy in Montreal for sure. But um, you talked about Suzuki before. Like you knew that Suzuki was going to try and get the puck to Caulfield. You got the puck to him, I think, five or six seconds before that. Caulfield took a slapper. It missed the net. It came back. But there were sticks on the ice 
trying to, you know, cut off the passing lane. I don't know how Nick Suzuki got that pass across. I just, I mean, that I wanna, was I wanna, amazing. So the the first slap shot you're talking about, I think it was a pass from Mike Matheson. Okay. The reason this play works with Suzuki at the end with three seconds left, it was originally 1.9 seconds. They changed the clock, whatever it was. If you go back further in the sequence, Suzuki walks down the wall and shoots. And Suzuki being a shooting threat forces three of the flyers to pay attention to Suzuki's shot as he comes back yeah. down again. Now he can pass that, it because he's not predictable. And that's when he whips the pass yeah. across. And I just, that is why Suzuki has gone from star to superstar, is that he's almost as lethal a shooting threat as he is a passing threat. And we know that he's a lethal passing threat. That's a really dangerous, and it's not, I talked to the goalies about Suzuki's shot. It's not that it's so hard or so fast. His release is so good, and his hands are so good at changing the angle quickly and making a quick release kind of play that it's so deceptive and so dangerous. And look, he is shooting at an unsustainable rate this year, and he's not going to continue shooting at 27%. But when I asked him about that, he said, you know, I'll just shoot more. It's not that I'm going to score less. I just got to shoot more. The other thing, though, is that when we talk about Nick Suzuki, we talk about the genius of his play, right? Like everything he does seems to come from right up here. Um, that's what really stands out more than the hands, the shot, the passing, whatever it is. It's the, 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 the thought that he has to make the play that he makes. He's so smart in his shot selection. Like he doesn't take bad shots. He does not take shots just to get shots on net. And I, I love that about him. I, I just, you can't say enough good things about this player. You can't say enough good things about the players playing with the complicity that they have, that the, the way they complete each other um, is, is appointment viewing. It's one of the most exciting things going in the NHL. And they're one of the most productive duos in the NHL. And it's not a coincidence and it's not luck and it's not, Oh, the bounces are going their way. They, they are really superstars and Canadians mm-hmm. fans. There's an entire generation of Canadians fans yeah. that have never seen players like them on their team. Eric wasn't always like this, but I remember there were times in the last, over the last uh, three, four or five years, whatever it was, that if the game was tied with five minutes left in regulation, the Canadians would trap till death to bring the game to overtime so that they could get a point. And once they got to overtime, they would always approach it with three very responsible defensive players and not overly offensive players. Uh, They would start the overtime like that before, but they put offensive players. Maybe it would have to be the third shift or so. And um, it almost seemed like they wanted to take the game to the shootout because they thought with Carey Price in goal, they had a great chance of winning the game. It was just so defensive and so plain not to lose. This has been such a, a, such a breath of fresh air. And when you play defensive like that, I don't think your players are going to get better. Like, you, it, it, the more defensive they play, the more it's going to hurt their confidence, which usually comes from putting up offensive numbers, generating offense. And uh, this, is, this is amazing to watch. I, I, um, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. For me, it's it's not so much winning or losing. It's about putting on a show, especially, Eric, with the price of tickets right now and and fans were deprived to get into the building for quite some time during COVID. 
with the way the ticket prices are going, we know it's an expensive night, but I bet you nobody complained on Saturday night after that game that it cost them $300, $400, or $500. I bet you no one complained. Yeah, but you know something? There's an important nuance to, to, to point out here, which is that the show is the byproduct of the concepts that Martin St. Louis preaches. It's not like they're saying to themselves, we better be entertaining because we're going to lose some games more than we'd like to win them, uh, you know, more than we're going to win. And, and it's important to put on a show so that the, the fans are happy. Um, they are trying to build the way they want to play because that's what they believe will enable them to, once they have enough pieces to play any style, really win at a, at a clip and win a Stanley cup. Like that's, that's what they're trying to do. They're not saying to themselves, Oh, we're just going to play this way this year. And then once we get other players, we'll, we'll tweak it out and play the way, you know, lock it down and this and that it's, they're really building the habits that they want to play with moving forward as they become the team that they want to be. And the fact that it's generating that byproduct, that it, that it is entertaining in part is because, you know, they give up chances and have to chase them down and score goals to, to win the game um, because they're surrendering a two goal lead like they did in the first period of the game against the Flyers or against Columbus. But the other side of it is that, they do have dynamic young players who have the ability to do that. And the concepts versus being locked into a quote unquote system enables those players to tap into their creativity as long as they're adhering to the concepts that Martin St. Louis is mm-hmm. preaching. So I just think that if you're a Canadians fan is what you should really be excited about. You, you can be excited about the fact that you're getting a show when you go to the bell center, when you're turning on your TV and you get these young superstar players to watch. Yeah, but you should be more excited about the fact that the coach is preaching this as a way of playing that this is what he believes in and the players are clearly buying it and their creativity is shining through because they're enabled to be creative while still making sure they cover those concepts that mm-hmm. quote unquote take care of the team like Marty likes to say, you know, so it's, yeah. it's amazing to watch. If you're watching right now, our way of feeling the love is you commenting sick or hitting the like button on whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Twitter and share with your friends, share the posts, share the videos, share the comments, engage. Pretty cool. If you're going to listen to it via Google or Apple or Spotify, leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with us. Arbor Jacki um, fought Zach Cashin at the beginning of the season, did really well. Has had a couple in his last couple. He didn't do as well as he did versus um, Zach Cashin. But my question to you is that it's not like you could have refused the invitation on Saturday night. I don't think you do that either. After you hit a Philadelphia flyer, someone comes after you. You kind of like feel like you have to answer the bell. But is he fighting too much for your liking? And are you at all worried that, uh, you know, at some point here, he might bite off more than he can chew? I mean, I think people didn't like the timing of his fight in Columbus. You know, the Canadians had just tied the game 2-2. They're going to the intermission. Uh, I spoke to Jack Eye about it. He was like, what are we surrendering in terms of momentum by me giving that fight? Like, we're going to intermission anyways. It's not carrying over. And we threw, you know, I threw a big hit on one of their players. He threw a couple hits and was making runs at guys. He asked me to go. We're going to go. Um I don't really have a problem with it, to be honest with you. And I'm not worried about 
Jack Eye's ability to handle himself. His confidence is very much intact in those situations. He knows how to handle himself. Um, I don't think he's just taking on all comers. Otherwise, I think he'd have more than three fights on his card. Um, a guy like Delorier, I was saying, uh, I was uh, in the press box talking to our buddy Arpin Basio up there, and I was like, if I was an NHL player and I was on the ice, I would be afraid of Nick Delorier. Like, not just because he can fight, I would just be afraid just looking at him, like just being on the ice with him. He's a scary looking dude and a scary player and the type of player that there's not a lot of left in the NHL. And I think Jack guys, you know, gets into the situation where he could see Delorier coming and doesn't hesitate to drop his gloves and goes with him. And he took one pretty good shot at the end of that fight and seemed fine. I'm not like if he can take, if he can handle Nick Delorier, which he did, he didn't get his ass kicked. Like he, he stood into the fight and got a couple shots himself. I think he can handle anybody. So I don't really worry about his situation. I don't think he's fighting too much. I worry about it more. Tony, I worry about it more in the AHL. I worry about it if, if Jack Eye finds himself in the AHL as the Canadian forwards get healthy and they have to make a move because they have eight defensemen and he ends up there because he's kind of the low man on the ice time situation. I worry that this guy and that guy and guys who really don't matter all that much, who have no chance of seeing the NHL, are going to be enticing Jack Eye to fight on a nightly basis. And I don't think that's necessary given his level of, of play and, and where he's at. So hopefully someone will be there to protect him. I think I've lost your audio, Tony. I can't really hear you. You hear me now? Yeah. Uh, sorry about it. Uh, so I, I, um, I'm i not so sure I share your opinion on this one. Not that I'm an expert on fighting far from it. I just, um, I, I find that... Um, Look, he's not going to refuse anyone. He's that kind of kid, and he's that kind of player, right? He wants to show that he can stand up for himself, stand up for his teammates, and he wants to make a name for himself. I don't think it would go well if he would fight a Reeves. I don't think it would go well if he would fight a Wilson. I don't think it would go well if he would fight a McDermott. Now, once again, I'm not an expert on this, but I, I have had the chance to talk to George Larac about it right here on the Sick Podcast, and I've had a chance to listen to his opinion as well on his show with Max Truman on BPM Sports uh, weekdays at 11 a.m. And George says that from um, um, a technical point of view, there's a lot of flaws in Jack Eye's fight game. And uh, there's a lot of flaws in his stance. There's a lot of flaws um, in, um, in, in what results of maybe a wrong stance. And uh, I know he said that he'd love to work with him at one point and maybe show him a few tips. And um, but I don't think Jack. I don't think Jack. I would say no to that. Number one and number two. While I don't doubt George's expertise in that, like we all know, he'd be an expert in that. Um, I'm. I am curious as to what he's judging that on. Is it based on one fight he had with Zach Cassian prior to the, the you know the two fights that he had? Uh, between Thursday and Saturday, like I, he hasn't really fought outside of that in the NHL. His yeah. three fights we're talking about, and one that he would have shared that opinion on. So I'm just, yeah, I actually think he had that opinion even after the cash in fight when obviously Jack I did really, really well. There's a few things that he saw anyway. Listen, well, that's uh, what I'm saying. Like that would be the only fight he yeah. would have seen to base an opinion on. So I don't know if I, like, I don't know if you could pick 
up trends in somebody's fighting style or their game for that matter, just based on one performance or whatever it is. Yeah. Not that I doubt George and George, if you're watching, I'm, I have no interest in you punching me in the face for disagreeing with you. But I do think uh, if George LaRock reached out to Z- to Arbor Jacki and said, I'd love to give you a few pointers. I think Arbor Jacki would be all ears. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. I, I think George was saying that, uh, Jack guy stance allows, uh, you know, the other fighter to, to get in too close. And I don't think, and I think he said that he shouldn't be fighting close. I think he, I think he said he should be fighting more distant, but I mean, I, I could be wrong. We should get George again on it to talk about it. But anyway, in the meantime, I, I know that Marty St. Louis said that the, with Matheson coming back and he came back on Saturday and scored a big goal for the Canadians that, Harris was going to be an odd man out every now and then. Jacki was going to be an odd man out every now and then. Kovacevic, I think that they would all take turns. Weidman did all take turns and in, 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 in skipping a turn. But even though he said it all depends who the opponent is, was it really about the opponent versus the Flyers? Or do you think that Jordan Harris was scratched because he didn't play great hockey the week of? I, I think it was a combination of things. I think it was Jordan Harris played his worst game in Columbus despite scoring a goal, and Arbor Jacki, who was the most under pressure to be out of the lineup, played one of his best games of the season in Columbus. And, um, you know, Marty talking about the opponent, they knew that they were going to face a line. Delorier's line is pretty large and can really disturb. And it is part of a, a personnel decision in terms of the opposition. Um, Marty's like super honest about every answer he gives. So there's no reason to doubt what he's saying. If he's saying that it's part performance, part the opposition, uh, and that there will be a rotation, it's not like they've penciled into each uh, game on the schedule. Well, this guy will play here and that guy will play there. Performance obviously weighs into that. And there's a healthy competition that's going to happen now. Um, So yeah, I take Marty at his word on that. The other side of it is, they can go with a rotation for now because Yoel Armia is only practicing in non-contact jersey. Mike Hoffman is suddenly injured. They'll have to potentially call it a forward up. They're they're one short of of being too many guys. You know what I mean? The minute uh-huh. that Armia comes back and Hoffman's healthy, then they have to make a decision. And I'm somewhat doubtful that it's going to be at forward uh, and that they're, they're going to see it as a healthy thing to continue carrying eight defensemen and constantly rotating guys out of the lineup. Because even though, you know, we'll see how Harris responds when he comes back in. We'll see how Jacki responds when he gets out and comes back in. Kovacevic has already done it and he responded quite well. Um, you don't want – it's it's not like these decisions – on their own are going to affect the confidence of all three players, Uh but you don't want all three players to be affected moving forward. And yeah, they haven't had to deal with that type of internal competition yet. And now they do. And so we'll see how they respond. I don't think that would be a good long-term thing for all three of them. I think you're better off going with here's one guy who's playing a little bit less and he could take on a massive role in Laval right now. And Uh There's nothing wrong with doing that for 15 games. Um, you know, inevitably somebody else will go down and he'll come back up. They'd like to get Justin Barron up with the Canadians at some point this year. He's playing well in Laval, yeah. um, which is great for him. I just think, you know, a rotation is good in the short term. It, it does cr- 
keep everybody on their toes. It, it, it will help the development of all of these players that have to go through it. But at a certain point, it becomes an issue because you don't want guys sitting for too long, especially if the main criteria has to be the, the performance. And you don't want to affect their confidence too much, even though, you know, they're like Marty said, they're responsible for their own confidence. These decisions do have an impact and they do, you know, I don't want, I don't want to see Jordan Harris come back in the lineup on Tuesday and feel like he has to do anything more than he was doing other than play better than he did in Columbus, because let's face it, he's probably been, you know, outside of Gooley, the steadiest defenseman Montreal's had this season. Like, yes. It, it was yes. one bad, bad game in which he actually scored a goal. Um, but you don't want him coming in and saying, oh, I got to I gotta be that much better. You know, like, I, I just got to be me is what you want him mm-hmm. to be. And it'll be the same challenge for Jacki and Kovacevic. And considering how well all three players have played so far this season, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's going to require a lot of hand-holding as they go through that rotation and that process on a daily basis for Marty. What's the situation with Hoffman? I know Armia's back. I, mean, I know Hoffman's out, but uh, when did he get hurt? He got hurt uh, in the second period, I believe. It's po- I mean, it's possible it was in the first period of the game, and he played through it in the second and wasn't able to play through it in the third. Um, I know that Martin Marty said that after the game that he was still on the bench and not in the trainer's room because he felt that if for whatever reason they got a power play, he would still be able to do what he does on the power play um, and help them score a key goal or whatever it is. So that would suggest it's not too serious. I know he was evaluated today and we'll have more of an update tomorrow Mm -hmm. morning um, in terms of news there. It's possible he'll play tomorrow. It's possible he'll miss a little bit of time unless all of a sudden he went for testing and something is seriously wrong. Like, we saw Mike Matheson get hurt at the beginning of – he said he got hurt in the first preseason game he played. He played through the whole preseason. All of a sudden, he was out for six to eight weeks mm-hmm. uh, just based on some testing. So yeah. you never want to guess too much about this. But if I yeah. have to guess about it, I don't think it's too serious. Tread deadline's early March, right? Yes, it is. So we're going to play a game here. It's Monday, November 21st, okay? <laughs> uh, let's just say the Canadians are out of it out of a playoff spot by the time they get to trade deadline two weeks, a week before trade deadline or whatever, they see that they are, you know, double digits out of it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you two names and you're going to tell me whether or not you think the Canadians are going to trade one of those players or both of those players. Okay. Joel Edmondson. Yep. David Savard. No. So Edmondson, they'll trade Savard. They won't. And most likely has to do with, They'll trade a veteran because they have to make room for the young players and make them play. But you're probably choosing Edmondson to be traded over Savard because he's a lefty and they have so much, they have a lot more depth at the left defense position. Is that it? Or is there another reason? Yeah, there's another reason. Uh, I think if you look on cap friendly, David Savard has two more years after this one at $5.5 million, right? Uh, it's not at 5.5. No. Five something, I think. Whatever David, it is. David Savard? See, this is why I don't like doing this without looking okay. myself. I, I, I'm convinced that David Savard is uh, under $4 million. Is he not? Okay, I'll look it up right now, and I'm going to bring it up. Uh, the, and, unless I, I forgot something here. David Savard, $3.5 million next two years. Yeah, sorry, $3.5 million. 5. Yes. 5. Sorry. Yeah, yeah 3.5. Two more after this yeah. is the key. Joel yeah. Edmondson has one more year after this, um, which makes which means you can get two runs with the guy. You know, you can get two runs with the guy and get 
very good value for him at this year's deadline and defense is a premium. Um, I'd be really impressed if the Canadians could trade David Savard by the trade deadline and get the type of value they would want to get in order to make that trade more valuable than the value they get from David Savard on their roster. Like it's just cap dynamics. Yeah, I got it. You know, like versus Edmondson. Yeah. Edmondson brings a lot of value to the Canadians roster, but he's going to bring in more value on the trade market. If his game continues to gradually build as we get there, uh, you know, I think everybody saw what he's able to do in the Stanley cup final run for the Canadians and what kind of player he is, what kind of character he has that with one more year left after this one of 3.5 million bucks, I'm pretty sure that's the number on his contract too. Um, you know, it's, it's worth giving up to get that kind of player in your system. I do find it funny that I think a lot of people would link him to Toronto, especially with mm-hmm. Jake Muzzin's interview. The Leafs uh, lost, with, uh, by injury. the way. Leafs lost 3-2 to the Islanders. Yeah, with Jake Muzzin's injury, I, I could totally see how Edmondson's name would be one circulating through the rumor mill in Toronto. Yeah. I do know that before Montreal signed Joel Edmondson, mm-hmm. the scouts in Toronto were begging, begging, management to consider Joel Edmondson. Wow. And they were told to stop bringing up his name in meetings because he didn't fit the style of play that they wanted, um, which I've always thought was hilarious. I mean, this was coming out of Carolina where he played pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and coming out of a cup with St. Louis where he yeah. played pretty well. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, the analytics didn't suggest that he's a great defenseman by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, they said the same thing about Ben Chirot, and I think we all know what Ben Chirot was to the Canadians in their run to the, the final and what it takes to win in the playoffs, um, which I think Toronto has had a deficiency of understanding, um, and that's a big part of the reason why they've been knocked out in the first round over and over yeah. again. And, mm-hmm. and a big part of the reason why their team is not taking the steps necessary is because they haven't invested in the type of defensemen that enable you to win. Uh, like St. Louis did like Montreal got to the Stanley cup final on like Vegas, uh, you know, all the good teams that you look at and the way they play, you look at the style of defensemen they have, it's pretty important to have those guys. So I think there's a lot of irony that as we move forward, there will be a lot of talk, about and you know look Toronto I mean I couldn't I couldn't have picked a team that was more in need last year of trading mm-hmm. for Ben Sherrod than Toronto and 100%. I, I don't think they were really heavy in the mix of the teams trying to acquire him so I'm really curious if they've had a change of heart or a change of mind when it comes to a guy like Joel Edmondson when that time comes around and we'll find out because he honestly would be, he would be awesome for Toronto they he should would. have the most incentive they should have had the most incentive last year to get Ben Sherrod, and they should have the most incentive this year to get Joel Edmondson. And I really wonder, because I, I think they have the assets to do it, and and I really wonder if they will, because I it hasn't been their philosophy. And like I said, when yeah. he was available to be signed or traded for to be signed, like the Canadians did, um, they were telling their scouts, stop bringing up his name. Wow. He's not our type of guy. A shout-out to Playground. They have over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Eric, and ending, and this has been, as usual, a heck of a lot of fun. What do you expect tomorrow night when the Canadians host the Buffalo Sabres? Are there uh, storylines that you are already have an eye out for? I don't really go into games that way because I don't want to fall in love with... uh... 
I don't want to fall in love with what I'm thinking before I get into it. And then, you know, I have to switch gears and I'm, I'm, I, I have a hard time letting go of that idea I had. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at Buffalo, who's not been anywhere near as good as last time the Canadians played them. And they totally outplayed the Canadians and ended up losing the game. And I think that got them deeper into, you know, or, or get, got them into the skid that they've currently been on, basically. Yeah. Um, they're a dangerous team. Tate is Thompson this, is, is, this, is amazing. Is, I, is this guy something or is he something? Yeah, no, he's 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 an amazing player. Um, wow. If there was one thing I'd be looking at, it's really just how how much confidence Suzuki and Caulfield took from what they did on Saturday and and you know what they might do next. You know, like and I, yeah. it's almost a feeling I have every game I watch. Um, love the way Sean Monahan's playing. Like that's a guy that I'm watching closely on a nightly basis. Um, Kirby Doc continues to be very solid, good contributor. The power play is something I'm looking at. I'm looking at Mike Matheson to play a much yeah. steadier game than his his first game, and I'm looking to see how Harris responds because um, I'm pretty sure he's going to be back in the lineup. Uh, Eric, on Tuesday. I don't remember when was the last time I was so excited about promote Canadians one two punch. Like uh, you, you know, Terjean and Donfus were obviously great. Riche is the last 50 goal scorer you had on this team for one season. Plakanic and Kovalev were really unbelievable where Kovalev, I think picked up 35 goals and 84 points. Uh, you know, two on that line was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, he was. You're right about that. Uh, Andre and, um, and you know, Jacques Lemaire and Gila Fleur were obviously awesome. Bobby Smith and Matt Snazlin. But I mean, this Suzuki Caulfield duo, they're just, they're different than everyone else. They're, they're really different, and they're so special. I mean, yeah, they're they're actually superstars. That's that's yeah, the difference. You, you like, said that before, and somebody on on YouTube said stars, not superstars. Well, no, they're they're superstars. They're, they're six and seven in the league in goal scored, and they're you know Suzuki's tenth in the league in points, or was up until yesterday's action, yeah. and has a chance to get right back in there again. Uh, they're producing over a point per game, and there's only a select group of people that do that in the NHL, and we refer to all of them as superstars. And it's not too yeah. soon to say it because it's been a gradual build to get there for both players, even if they're yeah. young and have only been in the league for a few years. Every step they've taken has put them on this platform, yeah. and it's not like some sort of fluke. It, it's not what what is happening with them is not, oh, it's it's a hot run. Like This is who they are. This is yeah. who they are as players. And them playing together makes them even better. So it's I have no hesitation calling them that because that's what they are. Eric, thank you, thank you, thank you for spending your Monday night with me. There's Eric's Twitter handle, at Eric Engels. He's a phenomenal read on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Check him out if you haven't already. One of the most connected insiders in the city, and we're happy that he's a part of the SICK Podcast. Thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Tony, and thanks, Aniello, for the sick sweatshirt and the sick microphone. And that, you know what? That really is a sick microphone. I got to tell you that uh, that, that microphone is pretty it's impressive. Very nice. it's very yeah, nice. it is very nice. We'll talk to you soon, Eric. Enjoy the Take game care. tomorrow night. Cheers, buddy. All right, uh, it's now time to go for gold. Go for gold. A daily World Cup report. Presented by Bijou Tree Bossy. Yeah, uh, so I uh, walked into Bijouterie Bassi uh, last week where I picked this up, uh, this uh, beautiful cross here. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. It really is lovely. 
And, um, and uh, you know, Jenny and I have been friends for a while. And uh, when we talk about jewelers in the city, uh, Bijouterie Bassi is at the top of the list. They provide a professional service and fine jewelry for over 30 years. And you can visit the store at 9640 Boulevard St. Michel, right here in Montreal, of course. And you can call them at 514-387-9528. So the World Cup is here. It started on Sunday with a game. And there were uh, several games today. There were three of them. And we're going to talk to you about what's happened so far two days in to World Cup 2022. It got started on Sunday. Qatar, you know, host nation Qatar versus Ecuador. And there was a lot of talk going into this game because supposedly word was out there that some high-ranking officials of Qatar had approached some Ecuador players and talked to them about throwing the game, talked to them about not scoring in the first half and actually conceding a goal in the second half and Ecuador loses by a score of one to nothing. That was a big storyline. Anyway, three minutes into the game, it looked like that was not going to happen. It was out the window because Ecuador striker, uh, Ener Valencia, who plays for Fenerbahce, uh, scored just after three minutes, but it went to VAR and the goal was called back. And then there was all those people that went on social media again and started saying, you see, you see, the fix is in, the fix is in. They went to VAR. The goal was called back. But what, 13, 13 minutes after that, that same Valencia was fouled in the box by the Qatar goalkeeper. He converted the penalty at the 16th minute, and he made it 2 nothing at the 31st minute of play. And that's the way that game ended. So the manager, the head coach of uh, the Qatar national team, as a matter of fact, saying sorry to all of Qatar for the loss. And he says he hopes that they will do better, much better in their second game. Earlier this morning, um, it was England and Iran. And uh, I have to tell you that in the last couple of competitions, England has come very close. And when I take a look at big competitions and I think of who can win it, I always take a a look at teams that come very, very close. And, um, you know, I, and I figure it's going to be their turn. And if it's ever going to be England's turn, I think it's this time around. Uh, 6-2 over Iran. Bukayo Saka had two goals. Already more goals for England, I believe I read, than Paul Scholes and Wayne Rooney ever had at the World Cup because they had one each. Harry Kane had two assists. Here's a guy that a lot of people, because of England's path here, uh, and some of the teams they have in front of them, a lot of people predicted Harry Kane would be the leading goal scorer of this tournament. But he picked up an assist on Bellingham's goal in the 35th minute. And then he got a knock in the 48th minute. He was laboring for the rest of the game. He picked up another assist on Rashford's goal, which came in the 71st minute. And four minutes later at the 75th, he was subbed off. And he was seen limping at the end of the game for Iran striker Mehdi Taremi, who plays for Porto in Portugal's first division, scored both Iran goals. England six, Iran two. In the game between Denmark and Senegal, Cody Gakpo scored in the 84th minute. And Davy Klassen added another in stoppage time. 
and uh, Denmark doubles up and they beat Senegal by a score of um, uh, two to zero. And um, it was uh, the Senegal manager at the end of the game who said, we have a great team on paper, but unfortunately for us, the game today was played on grass and not on paper. USA versus Wales. The United States looked really, really good. Their U.S. national team did in the first half. And they had a lot of scoring chances, and they were the aggressor, and they had the ball most of the time. And for USA, Christian Pulisic uh, went on a great counterattack run, and then he a fantastic pass to break away Timothy Weah, who saw the keeper coming out. And as the keeper was making his run to run out, he hit it with the outside of his foot, and he put it past them at the 36th minute of play to give the United States a one nothing lead. And in the second half, late in the second half, uh, I think with about 10 minutes left in regulation or so, Gareth Bale was fouled in the box, and he got the PK, and he converted his penalty, went to the top of the net to tie the game at the 82nd minute of play. So USA and Wales tie at one. As for the Canadians men's national team, there was some news earlier this morning that we're hearing that Alfonso Davies is ready to go. He was uncertain because of an injury, a hamstring injury uh, sustained a couple of weeks ago when he was playing with his club side, Bayern Munich in Germany. Steven Estacchio, we had heard, was uh, uncertain, and it looks like he's going to go as well. Goalkeeper Milan Borian had uh, uh, complained of an injury, but it looks like he's going to go as well. Uh, as for Canada's opponent, Belgium, big striker Romelu Lukaku has had some fitness issues. He plays for my favorite club team, Inter Milan in Italy. Uh, he's weighing in at about 109 kilos. He hasn't been in game shape, and he's out with an injury, we've been told, and it looks like he's going to miss a couple of games. So even though he's not in his best form right now, he's one less headache for Canada to deal with. And, uh, you know, I saw Patrice Bernier earlier this evening at Pierre Gervais' book launch, and uh, he seems pretty confident about Canada's chances. He thinks that they will, worst-case scenario, that they're going to tie the game. He believes they have a chance to win this game. Look, they have a chance to win this game because they got some very good players. Steven Ostak is a very good player. Alfonso Davies is a very good player. Jonathan David's a very good player. If Laren gets in, he can score. There's no doubt about it. Uh, there are others as well. But um, the weakness of this Canadians men's national team, unfortunately, is the back line. But I think the entire coaching staff is aware of that. With all due respect to the MLS, if you're going to have three or four players who play in the MLS at a World Cup level, um, you know, um, there was um, there's a player who plays uh, for AC Milan. And, um, you know, he's got, um, he could have represented uh, the English national team or he could have represented uh, the uh, Canadian men's national team. And he chose to represent England. And I'm talking about uh, Fikayo Tomori. And uh, unfortunately for Canada, he chose to represent England. He's a center back and he didn't even make their team. 24 years of age, if uh, he would have been representing Canada, he would have been their number one defender, and uh, so they got a little unlucky there. But uh, I say this, insulate the back line, and if you're going to have a, a chance at beating Belgium, it's going to have to be on the counterattack. I think that's the best approach to have. 
but that game goes on Wednesday. For Agnello and Sammy back at Master Control, not sure you can bring up tomorrow's games so we can show tomorrow's games as well. There you have it. At 5 a.m. Eastern time, Lionel Messi's Argentina will play Saudi Arabia. At 8 a.m., it's Group D's Denmark versus Tunisia. At 11 a.m., back to Group C in Mexico versus Poland. And at 2 p.m., minus Karim Benzema and minus Paul Pogba and minus N'Golo Kante and minus several others. But France, still the powerhouse, will play Australia. Those are the four games on tap for Tuesday, World Cup 2022 in Qatar. And there you have it, Go for Gold, brought to you by Bijutri Bassi. We told you we would give you a report every day. The World Cup doesn't come around every year. So you know what? When it does, we're going to talk about it. The Sikh Army, I love you. You are here once again in very, very big numbers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me tonight and joining us on this beautiful journey that is the Sick Podcast. Tell your friends about it. Tell them to watch the podcast. They, sus- they can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free, and you can watch it on Facebook and Twitter as well. That's Monday's edition. Tomorrow night, the Montreal Canadiens will host the Buffalo Sabres at the Bell Center. And once that game is over, at around 10 p.m. Eastern, we'll be here back to talk about it. And, of course, we'll give you a daily report of what's going on at the World Cup again with the Gold for Gold segment, which will last a couple of minutes. It's now time for me to jump in my spa and then take a shower and go to bed. We'll do it again tomorrow night, same time, same place, for Agnello and Sammy at Master Control. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you.